number 389. Good evening. If you don't know who I am, my name's Nathan Payne. I'm the oldest son of Alan, although don't hold that against me. Um, uh, I'd like to start by get, get, uh, thanking the elders uh, for letting me have an opportunity to speak. And I guess this is what I get for telling Chris casually that I, I'm always up to preach because first chance he got, here I am. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight uh, about a thought I had the other day. And when I was preparing this lesson, I was talking to Chris, and I said, Hey, Chris, what, kind of, what should I do on a Devo on a Wednesday night, and, and how should it be structured? And taking his advice, I've prepared for you about a one-hour presentation detailing uh, my lesson. I'm glad you all laughed, because that's not true. Uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes, uh, hopefully being clear and concise and uh, sharing a thought-provoking lesson that hopefully will edify you uh, and get you energized for the rest of this week. But I want to start by asking you a question. Have you ever prayed like your life depended on it? Now, I'll pause for dramatic effect while you think about it, and I'll ask it again. Have you ever prayed like your life or someone else's life depended on it? Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 7, to pray without ceasing. He says in Philippians 4, verse 6, But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul here gives two examples of, us, of telling us as Christians we ought to be praying without ceasing. We ought to be praying for everything that's going on in our lives. Are we praying like our life or someone else's life depends on it? I, I heard a question one time during a, a lesson about, do we really take seriously the notion of, are we praying like we ought to? We oftentimes hear somebody say, I'd like to add so-and-so to the prayer list, or pray, pray for me, add me to the prayer list. Or when something bad happens... We, we like to say, hey, our thoughts and prayers are with you. You'll be in my prayers. We say these things, but do we really take the charge that we are given to pray sincerely to heart? So for a few minutes tonight, what I want to look at is two biblical examples of men who prayed like their life depended on it. The first one we're going to look at is, is David. If you'd like to turn with me, I'll be in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. As you're turning there, uh, you may be familiar with this passage. This is when Nathan confronts David. If you don't remember why Nathan confronts David, I'll give you the Nathan Payne uh, Cliff Notes edition uh, of the Bible. Basically, a few chapters back, David sees Bathsheba, good-looking woman. He takes her, and she becomes pregnant. Then David conspires to try to trick her husband into thinking that He's the father. When that doesn't work, he conspires to have him killed. And he thinks he's completely scot-free. Until in chapter 12, when Nathan the prophet shows up and tells him a story about a man who has everything and a man who has nothing. And the man who has everything takes the one thing the man who has nothing has. 
And David hates this story. And he tells, he tells uh, Nathan, it's, in verse 5, it says, He burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that land four times over because he has, Dutch, he has done such a thing and has no pity. And it's only then when Nathan says, Hey man, guess what? That's you. Uh, you're the one who messed up. You're the one that did this bad thing. You, you took what this man had that uh, didn't belong to you. And so then Nathan goes on to say all the bad stuff that's going to happen to David because of this transgression. And verse 13 where we're going to pick up, then David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sins. You are not going to die. But because you have done this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son that was born to you will die. So then Nathan goes away in verse 15, and the Lord strikes the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, becomes ill. So now this is the direct result of a sin that David had committed against God. And so for six days, verse 16, where I want to really emphasize this, What's David do? This child has become sick. He knows this child is going to die because Nathan's told him that God said it's going to happen. But in verse 16, it says what? It says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, spent the nights lying in sackcloth on top of the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat anything, uh, any food with them. So for six days, we see that, that David pleaded with the Lord night and day to save this child, to change his mind. And on the seventh day, the child dies. Six days, David prayed like his life, not his life, but his son's life depended on it. And on the seventh day, the child dies. In fact, in verse 18, we find out once the child dies, David's attendants were afraid to tell him because they were afraid that he might do something desperate. People do desperate things when they're grieving. They do things that they might not normally do when they're in grief and when they're uh, in, in, in agony and in sorrow. And they were afraid to tell him that the child had died. But we see that David catches on and realizes that the child has died, and he totally changes his attitude. He gets dressed, he takes a bath, he gets something to eat, and he goes and he worships. God. And this puzzles the attendants. Why would he do this? Why would he spend six days crying and weeping and, and fasting and, and doing and pr- praying and doing all these things? And then once he finally dies, he's not even grieving anymore. Why would he do this? And I want to point you to David's answer in verse 22. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept and thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. And let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he cannot return to me. G- or David had faith that his prayers mattered. He had faith that his prayers could change God's mind. And although we see that God's, David's prayer was not answered the way he wanted it to be, and that's a different story, lesson for a different day, we see that David had such faith that his prayers were sincere, that he was pleading with God and praying 
like the life, someone else's life, depended on it. We, too, should have that kind of uh, fire when we pray that we can think we can change God's mind. The next person I want to look at is, uh, is actually Jesus, and we'll be in Luke chapter 22. So as you're turning there, uh, full disclosure, I sat here Sunday morning, I had no idea what uh, Chris was going to talk about. I'd already thought of this lesson, and I sat there and thought, man, he's going to steal every bit of my thunder on Sunday morning. But thankfully, he didn't steal all of it. Uh, but in Luke chapter 22... We see another example of someone who prayed like their life depended on it. We know this story. It's, we see in Matthew, we see a similar account in Matthew 26 and, for, and as well as Mark 14. And it says almost exactly the same thing. Jesus, after the Last Supper, he goes to the garden where he's going to go pray. And the Bible says that he was deeply troubled, he was distressed, and Jesus says that his soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. So as he goes and he prays to his Father in heaven, he says that everything is possible for you, please, if it be your will, take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. He even goes afterwards and warns his disciples to do what? Pray that you don't fall into temptation. You need to be taking this time while I'm over here praying for my life to sit here and pray for your life. Take the charge of prayer seriously. But I wanted to turn to Luke chapter 22 because Luke, uh, for one, is my favorite gospel writer. And uh, he gives us a more detailed look at Jesus' life. He He writes the book of Acts, which gives us a detailed account of early Christianity. And Luke... When you read the book of Luke, he took his time. In fact, it says that he took time to compile an orderly account of events that happened. He studied, he researched, he talked to the people who were there when he compiled these things. So it's very uh, detail-oriented and very uh, accurate. And it's a different viewpoint from, from Matthew, who, who was in the garden with Jesus, or John Mark, who was uh, not a... Apostle, you know, one of the twelve, but he was there in the garden, uh, a follower of Christ. But we see that Luke gives us a more detailed uh, account at Christ's agony. So turn with me to Luke chapter, uh, 22 and verse 40 is where I want to be for today. We'll back up to verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. So he goes here often to pray, to spend time talking to his father, we actually see throughout his ministry that he takes a lot of time to talk to God and to pray uh, to his father. But on reaching this place, verse 40, he says, Pray that you do not fall into temptation. He withdrew a stone's throw away, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Again, almost identical to the accounts from Matthew and Mark. But Luke goes on. In verse 43, it says, The Lord sent an angel from heaven. Uh, and appeared to him, and he strengthened him. And being in exceedingly great anguish, verse 44, he prayed more earnestly, and sweats were like drops of blood falling to the ground. We see that as Jesus is praying, and he's taking this time, and he's, he's in this agony and this stress that he's under, 
An angel comes to try to strengthen him and try to cheer him up and try to uh, strengthen him. But he's, his anguish is exceedingly great. He's praying more earnestly, more sincerely. Uh, for what? For his life. He's asking, he's asking his father if there's any other way to do what needs to be done that doesn't involve me dying on the cross. Now's the time to change the plan. He's praying like his life literally depends on it. And we talk about the idea of him being in exceedingly great anguish. And Luke adds the, adds the interesting detail that his sweats became like drops of blood. Now we remember what Luke was. He wasn't a, uh, a tax collector like Matthew or, or just a Jew like John Mark. He was a Greek doctor. He, so the details that he gives sometimes are very um, medically oriented. And so it's interesting that when he says that his sweat became drops like blood, that it wasn't just that he was sweating a lot or he was perspiring a whole bunch. But I believe that Luke's actually referring to a medical condition called hematidrosis. And if I said that wrong, there's somebody in here that's a medical professional, forgive me. But this condition is defined as a condition where the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands are ruptured, causing them to exude blood. This only occurs in conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. And that definition comes from the Rook's textbook of dermatology, a medical textbook. You can Google this, and there's real-life, modern-day examples of people under situations and stress sweating literally drops of blood. I would say if there was anybody under extreme physical, emotional stress in that situation in this, in, on this world, it would have been Jesus praying to his Father for his literal life. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was 100% God, but also 100% man. I think sometimes we, we, don't take for, we take for granted the fact that Jesus was a man uh, like us. He felt emotions like us. He felt happiness. He felt sadness. He felt anger. He dealt with temptations. He dealt with uh, sadness. He also dealt with fear, loneliness, and anxiety, and stress. All the things that we go through in our lives, Jesus experienced them too. And we see in this moment of extreme anger or uh, anguish and stress and anxiety, he was praying, taking his taking this ability to talk to God, to beg him and plead him uh, with him to change the plan. But just like David, he accepted God's answer. G- God answered Jesus's uh, prayer, just not how he uh, wanted it to be. And I, I, I like Chris's thoughts Sunday morning about, imagine not only the physical, emotional stress, Jesus knows what's getting ready to happen to him. I'm sure he's seen crucifixions before uh, being in Jerusalem. But imagine the added stress of this might be the only time where his will and God's will weren't together. He did not want to die, but he accepted that as a reality because that was what God's will was for him. And thank God that Jesus chose to follow through um, to give us uh, a chance for heaven. So as we close tonight, I want us to take the teachings of Paul. I want us to take the the examples we have of David, the examples we have of Jesus, uh, where they prayed like their life depended on it. I want us to pray with conviction 
and, and believe that our prayers can truly change things because they can. We see examples in the Bible where prayer changes things. We ought to pray with conviction. We have a gift of prayer, the ability to speak one-on-one with our Heavenly Father, a, a, a privilege that the Jews didn't get to have. They had to go to the temple. They had to do certain sacrifices. They were very specific. We have a personal relationship where we can go to our Heavenly Father. So take prayer seriously and pray like your life depends on it. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never been baptized and put Him on uh, and started a new life with Him, the, uh, the, the water's there, it's, it's prepared, it's ready for you. Um, we, we earnestly pray that you do that before it's everlastingly too late to become a child of God so that one day if you live faithfully, when your time comes, you will get that crown of righteousness, just as Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. If you've done that, and you're struggling, if, if you're dealing with the weights of this world, and, and whatever it might be, and you just need the prayers of the church, we're here to pray for you. We're here to pray for you with conviction, and, and with, uh, because prayer changes things. If you have a need, whatever it may be, please come as together we stand and as we sing. For Jesus and be always pure and good. Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you love can fill your soul and you will see twas best for him to have his way with thee would you in his kingdom find a place of constant rest would you prove him true each providential test would you in his service labor always at your best Let him have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. T'was best for him to have his way with thee. Dickie has our closing prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we are thankful for this evening. We're thankful that we could gather here this evening and hear your word and sing songs of praise to thee, Father. Father, we ask that you be with those that have been mentioned that are sick, that are fighting disease, that are shut in. We ask that you be with them and bless them and bless those that are administering to them. Father, we are so thankful that you established prayer, the communications that we can talk to you, and that you may hear our our troubles and our needs and all the things that that trouble us, Father. We, we, We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us. Father, as we go into the world, we ask that you be with us and you guide and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.